The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Uh, this is a uh, it's it's a great morning for Doxa, and I'll share this um, how uh, Randy and Dale have were really the people that were called to take a lead on this. And um, that they can take a week off from Doxa, and that Doxa is still here. That Doxa is doing what God called it to do, and it was really exciting. At nine o'clock, we did a pre-prayer meeting, and it just amazed me because Doxa is not about Randy, and it's not about Dale, and it's not about me. By the name, my name's Jonathan Shanks. Just to give you a heads up who I am. Um, but it, but it's about us exalting and honoring God through how we live and coming together uh, as a community to. Um, to bring glory and honor to God and to care for those around us. So uh, it's just a great thing. We're, uh, this is, we're going through Corinthians, and this is really uh, just an interesting study because this is a morning, and in a couple, we've had a couple this year, where this would not come up as a Sunday morning choice topic. Um, we're, we're, well, I'll just leave it there. We're, we're talking about eating and meat, and if you know anything about me, um, I'm going to make a confession that I love Rio's. Now, if you're not familiar with Rio's, let me give you a heads up. I'll tell you where it is. Um, I take no responsibility for what happens to you at Rio's, okay? I just want to give you a heads up. It is pricey. It is, I think, $34.99 a person. But, but it, you have to have dessert and coffee to wash it down. So by the time you're done, it's probably about 60 bucks a person. Uh, it's this Brazilian steakhouse. They put the meat on a little skewer, and they, they, they wind the thing around and get it nice and hot and perfect. And then they bring it to your table. And you've got a little card on your table. Uh, it's green on one side, red on the other. And if you leave it up on green, they come. these guys come and bring the meat to your table, and they slice a piece off. And they bring all kinds of meat to your table. I mean, filet mignon, a flank steak. I love the little lamb chops. I punish them when I go there. I eat lots of little lamb chops, but they have lamb, they, all kinds of stuff. So I, I bring this up because in my, my uh, estimate of myself, my first real blush with gluttony took place at Rio's. I'm a person that eats to live. I don't live to eat. You know, there's a big difference. Some people say, oh, I want to tell you about food. It's great. And they go through all this stuff about food. I don't really care. I have a knot in my stomach. I feel good. I get up. I go on about 30 minutes later. My metabolism's washed it out anyway. So I, I, go, I go to Rio's the first time. And I remember sitting there. And I was starting to hurt physically. All right? And I, and I have that little... Uh, the, 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 the placard, and it's still turned up green. And the guy comes to the table with, I think it was more lamb chops, and he says, would you like more? Now, I'm literally feeling pain, and I say, yes. <laughs> just the truth. It's just the truth. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this? You know, like something had malfunctioned between my physical body and my brain. So, you know, that's me. So... It's interesting also when you're at Rio's, by the way, you're never worried about who else is at Rio's. You're not looking around worried that like, oh, there's Joe from church. I, don't, I want to hide my face. Everybody's at Rio's doing the same thing. They're eating lots. I, I guess it's a good, I don't drink, but if you were drinking, it'd be the same thing of kind of like going to the bar. Like if everybody's at the bar drinking, we're not worried about who's there because he's drinking too. So you go to Rio's, I don't ever look around. I just tell you for what it's worth. 
So, so, so I'm going to ask this question this morning in opening. We're talking about eating, and it's a little misleading as I'm talking about meat because we're talking about food sacrificed to idols this morning. But let me, let me ask this question. I think it's a fair question. Knowing what you know about Rio's and knowing what you know about me, is there anything wrong now with me going to Rio's? And, and let's say I can even stop eating before I start to hurt. Let's assume that I have that kind of self-control. Um, and I noted the word really before I really start to hurt. It's, you know, you, there's going to be a little pain in that. Is it okay? Does it matter when I go to Rio's? The, I, typically, my wife and I go out with my sister and my brother-in-law on New Year's Eve. Is it okay going to Rio's on New Year's Eve? Or last Friday? Or what about half-price Sundays? There's a period, I don't know if it's going on right now, but they usually do like half-price Sundays. It is, okay. Armand has given us a heads up there. It is. We'll assume nothing by Armand saying that, by the way. So, but it is, all right. So we have that information here for you. Does it matter who I take with me to Rio's, all right? Does it matter who pays? Does it matter if I'm given a gift card to go to Rio's? Does it matter if I went to Rio's with a fellow Christian or an unbeliever? Does it matter who I tell that I went to Rio's? Does it make a difference for me as a Christian whether I go to Rio's at all? And I ask that because I'm just going to present this in opening. We all have a Rio's. So I'm going to say about it. I don't know what your Rio's is, but I think we all as Christians have a Rio's. So with that, just giving you a little heads up, um, we're doing this Corinthians here. If you're new to Docs, first of all, I'd like to welcome you. We've got information table in the background, and, and if you are new and you want to fill out a card, really Sunday morning is the tip of the iceberg with DOXA, and we're growing. There's a lot of things going on with DOXA, um, and I think a year from now or two years from now, you're going to see a different church. We were called together, and these, the, you know, it's really exciting when you see people show up and, and their response is, I'm supposed to be here because I believe God led me here. And that's happening here at DOXA. So we're really growing and having a lot of growing pains, but good growing pains. Um, but if you're new, we got information in the background. The literature on the table is free, by the way. So if you see something there, pick it up. You want to read it, take it home. Um, that's important. And um, we'll plug people into this, what they call the C groups, the community groups, which are really designed to facilitate a relationship. Look back on the prior week's teaching, see if there was any impact, by the way. I think our first day's question next week will be, Will you go to Rio's? Or something like that. It's kind of convicting. And then we read next week's scripture with a focus of where we're going. So we're trying to keep bookends with scripture and what's happening here in the, in the community group. But really the deal for the community group is that they'll grow together and want to minister and care and love in this community. And that's the big deal. Are we caring and loving and ministering to, these, uh, to our communities? We're studying Corinthians and uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're kind of just pushing through it. I call the book of Corinthians what I, I like to term the woodshed series, because basically Paul has taken the members of this church out behind the church to the woodshed and working them over the coals, because there are lots of growing pains. There are a lot of issues, for lack of better words, coming up in the church. Um, Paul started out by addressing it uh, and really kind of trying to eliminate you know, the distinction between whether you're real smart, whether you've got education or social standing, saying we've all been drawn together under, in this body of Christ. And it's, it, those things, although they may play in our culture, um, being unified under Christ, those trappings or those attributes kind of fall to the wayside. 
Um, th there was some issues concerning giving unequal weight to who had evangelized to them. There were divisions in the church saying, well, Paul evangelized to me. No, Apollos did to me or, or Barnabas. And he's saying, stop it. This deals with, with being called again into the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter who brought you the good news. You are here and our allegiance is to the one and only God and his son, Jesus Christ. Then we had the immoral brother who was, who was involved sexually with his um, stepmother, actually, which is pretty bad. Um, and and we, we went through that. There were issues of sexual promiscuity, promiscuity and immorality. And then um, there was an issue about the brothers suing each other in courts. Paul said, how could you be doing this to go before a secular court where you could have this resolved before a godly man? And then we've, we just closed out a month-long series on um, singleness, sex, and marriage, and the importance that if you are married, that, that, um, what those responsibilities involve. So we changed gears this morning, and we're, we're picking up with the issue of food that has been um, presented in a sacrificial manner um, in a temple, and they didn't just like throw it out or burn it all up. Then they would have a feast or they would put it and sell it in some of the markets. So we're, we're moving into this area. And it was obviously a point of contention or we wouldn't be reading about it that there were divisions and there was some bitterness coming up in that. The question, though, was not can we eat what they call idle food. The Greek word really was, I won't even go there with the Greek, but it basically is food, not meat specifically. Um, it wasn't so much can we eat the idol food, but why can't we eat it or why shouldn't we eat such food sacrificed to idols? And that's kind of the question that we're going to run into. Um, food was a real problem in the early church. You would think, well, how big a deal is that? Sounds kind of crazy. The first church council in Acts, chapter 15, 28 through 29, they, they got together a meeting just to address primarily um, this, and there were a couple big issues, but the, one of those issues was food. And let me just read this. They, they, they got a consensus, and they said, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to lay upon you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. And what they were doing was presenting to the Gentiles standards for behavior that wouldn't throw the Jews into a tailspin. you got to go back to early Christianity, is that you had Jews who had the whole Mosaic law, all these dietary issues, cleanliness issues, behavioral issues, worship issues. Jesus shows up and says, we're all one, and if we're, we're unified under me and my sacrificial death, and then you have Gentiles coming in saying, I got Jesus, everything's fine. And the Jews are like, wait a minute. We got a load of stuff going on here that, that we've been living according to the law that God gave us for literally thousands of years at this point, thousand plus years. And uh, you say we don't need all of this law anymore. So that, that church council and Acts got together. And really that was what they had laid upon the Gentiles for a standard of behavior. Um, Romans, it, it comes up where they address this, and they're all little disparities to who the audience was or the details of this. Um, Romans 14, 20 through 21 says, says this, Paul talking again, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So it's a much more wider issue they were addressing. Literally in Revelation, there were issues that, that they were rebuking the churches. Um, the church of Pergamum, um, John states, he says this in the rebuke. He says, you hold, you hold some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, 
who taught Balak uh, to be a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. It seems like those two keep coming up. So a lot of the food issues, but there were really, you, you could separate them. They were not universal, the same issue in different churches. I want to summarize something, though, here. This issue of food comes from chapter, one, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, all the way through the end of chapter 10. I'm only covering chapter 8 this morning. So I want to kind of just give you a little overview summary on the three areas where they were having problems. And the questions really were this. Um, there was a practice of eating idol food actually in the pagan temple. So you'd go in, it would be sacrificed, and you were dining with people. And I'm going to get to more detail on that in a minute. There was the second issue, which was eating the food which was sacrificed to idols, which was sold in the temple or secular meat markets. And it's interesting, in our culture today, it would kind of be like if we had a church, and, and, and as part of our church on the side of the building, they were selling food. Um, and part of the food was part of the ritual that we would engage in here in the morning, which sounds almost kind of crazy, but that's actually how it was taking place. And then the third issue was, is there a problem with eating the food which had been previously offered in a sacrifice in a meal hosted by somebody in their home, whether it be a believer or an unbeliever? So those were the situations where people were saying, is it right or wrong to eat such food? Paul took the view, and I'm kind of going to give you a, an advanced summary. Paul took the view that actually eating the meat in a pagan temple um, was something that should be avoided. Period. He's like, that's a bad idea. Um, then the question became this. Um, Paul didn't take a real firm position that eating the food in the two other settings, that, that, um, where it had been sold in a temple... Um, or in a secular market and had that link, or somebody was giving you the food in their home. But there was an exception. And the, question, the exception was really this, unless it offended the conscience of another person. So Paul is saying, don't eat in the temple, but in those other situations, unless it upsets somebody, fine, you can eat the meat. So having said that, I'm not going to go back to that really and address it again, but it's kind of like a big heads up. Um, there were... Um, huge social implications in um, eating in temples. And, and let me, I'm going to explain a little bit of this. There was a temple, I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher this word and I know it, as a matter of fact. Um, it's an asclepion, which was a term for a healing temple. Um, they would um, sacrifice food to the god of Asclepius, I believe I've said that correct, um, and then within the temple, actually, they had dining rooms set up where there would be social functions, celebrations. So this would be for the people who, first of all, could afford to be in the temple and to pay that admission price, whatever it was, to participate in those type of activities. The people who were dirt poor were not showing up having meals in the temple. So this whole class of Christians, it was almost like a non-issue. But then for the who's who, and that's who we're talking about here, um, they would be in the dining rooms eating the finest food, and obviously that came from these offerings. They would have meals there for Thanksgiving, for healings, for birthdays, funerals, weddings, invitations of friends, literally business meetings, patrons. If somebody wanted to just bless you and say, thanks for your business, I'll bring you out to the temple. Instead of Rio's, 
we would go to the temple, right? So that's what would happen. The other difficulty is that you show up in the temple, not only are they eating food that's sacrificed to idols, but there were also a lot of sexual practices, for lack of better words, taking place to accommodate the meal. So really you're showing up in a place where the likelihood of something going astray for a Christian was really pretty high. So having said that, um, the person who was literally barely able to feed themselves, it was really a non-issue. So the question really became, for the person who was in the temple saying, it doesn't really matter to me, I don't believe in any of these fake gods, the question is this, were they there saying, I want to maintain my standing in the temple and in this social strata of the community, therefore I justify a blanket declaration that there is no God and it doesn't really matter, while there's other people who may have a social standing showing up saying, I got a problem and I'm struggling here, but oh, if this guy can come in here and eat the meat, it's not a problem for me. So it was almost a, and typically the person who was struggling was going to be a new or an immature believer. So you had a person who was maintaining their standing within the community and, and more likely uh, justifying it by saying it doesn't really matter to me, I want to be here and here's why I can justify and say I still belong here. Um, so I'll get a little more into that in a minute, but that kind of puts the setting on what's taking place here. Now I could have severe, you know, when I prepare I'll sit down and read a lot of commentaries and look at things. You know, there's a little part of me that shudders um, when I get up here and teach and when anyone gets up to teach, to think in reality, someday we'll stand before God and Paul will look at me and go, oh, you butchered that passage on 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I can't, you can even show your face around here. There's a little part of me that kind of shudders because, you know, how close this is happening, how many years ago? Only 2,000 years ago. Uh, and, and I'm not a Greek uh, PhD you know, you, you try to put together the pieces to say, is this what was really happening? So uh, we're hopeful. We're hopeful this is the setting, and hopefully what I've said will make a little sense now that we'll open up the passage. Having said that, um, oh, and the last thing before we're moving on, the best butcher shops were probably the butcher shops in the temple, by the way. So having said that, if you want to open up scripture, we're going to open up chapter one. The overview, and I'll give you an overview of what I did. Um, it's uh, how to spell love is my caption for this morning. And there's four sections, and I break it down into thoughts. The first section is verses one through three, which is knowing versus being known. Because they were saying, you think you know something, but you really don't. Um, but if you love, you're known by God. And then we have the issue of God's small g versus God, which is in verses 4 through 6. Um, third section is eating versus not eating, verses 7 and 8. And then our freedom versus Christ's freedom. And that's, a, that's really the deal where we're going. The whole, this whole thing's about my freedom versus Christ's freedom. Um, and that's 9 through 13. So having said that. We open up verse 1, and it says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Um, I liked what Doug read. He read the New American Standard, I think, which, which says, it says, Now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Um, and I like the difference because you hear puffs up. It's like, what, what are we talking about here? 
And it's really the arrogance, and I like the word a little better. The passage continues on in verse 2. If anyone imagines, I like how he uses the word imagines. So Paul's starting off by saying, well, it's in your head. It's probably not much to do with reality. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so we open up this thing. We know we're talking about eating food, sacrificed to idol. And then Paul gives them what looks kind of like a, a backhanded philosophical rebuke. Um, it's funny, I was meeting with my mentor when I became a new Christian, and we were talking about sex. And in the middle of the conversation, my mentor says, Jonathan, you can't overhaul an engine while it's still running. And I'm like, what? Where did this come from? We're talking about sex, and now you're talking about modifying a, a transmission in a car and turning it. I know very little about cars, by the way. So where does this, this is, the Paul's doing the same thing here. As we start talking about one thing, and Paul just walks around the back and gives a little bit of information to say, you don't really think you have a clue what you're talking about here. Um, if you think about this, if anyone imagines he knows something. Well, let me, let's, let me back that up to just the first. Uh, let me read from my notes. That's probably the easier way to do this. He's, he starts off by saying that if you think you know something, you really don't think you know as you should know it. Right? Is that what he said? So the presumption of what Paul is saying is that you might think you really have answers for this question. Because who's, think about it, who is, who is he really talking to here? He's not telling the weaker brother to suck it up. All right? He's, not he's talking to the person who by their behavior is offending the weaker brother. There's your audience here, by the way. So if you're reading this and you're the one offending others, there's your audience. So he starts off by saying, you know, if you think you really know something... Do you really know what you think you know? And I, and I think underneath that really is more of this, is that when I step forward and say I know something or I'm confident with that, there's a presumption on my part that I'm telling you that I may know the mind of God, the plan of God, the heart of God, or the will of God. Boy, that's a bold statement to say that my behavior in this domain is fine. There's no problem with this. Well, are you sure about that, Jonathan? And that really is the question that's being presented here to say, are, are you really that confident to, to say that when you know something, that this is the correct behavior, that you're on the right page? Um, versus the person who says that I am a horrible sinner, deserving wrath, how does that person present themselves and their knowledge? Usually it's going to be in a very humble state to say that as far as I know God is, my behavior is this, but that if God wants to change or alter or give me a heads up that it needs to change, I'm willing to modify my behavior promptly. There's a degree of humility in the person who is not presumptuous. And that's, I think, a little bit of what Paul's trying to say here. Paul tells in 2 Corinthians 10.30, he says this, if I may boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness versus saying that I know whatever this plan or this policy is. Galatians 6.14, Paul goes on to say, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about things that we're saying, I know the answer to this or I'm confident of this, what's the benefit of that? 
Is it worth it for us to stand out and make those types of declarations? And I think Paul's just trying to get, get, get these guys to open their mind. We see the words then, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And it's like, wait a minute, where, where, where does this fall into the picture here? More, it's like more car engine talk in my view. This was cool in our small group this week. We started looking at this because the first question is this. Where does, where does real love come from? It's obvious. First uh, John 4, 7 says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So in this statement, if anyone loves God, he is known of God. The, qu- the question really comes that if you can love God, where does that capacity to love God come from? And it has to originate from God himself. So this is almost like a twisted inside-out statement. And again, who is the audience? Why is he going back talking about love and it edifying? Because we're dealing with somebody who's got a stony heart who's saying, I don't want to change my behavior. And if that person wants to stand there and justify their behavior, how much does that manifest the love of God? And if it doesn't manifest the love of God, what does it say about their relationship with God? And I think that's where we were going here. So, second section, God's versus God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods or many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, uh, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Um, so, so we we go here about eating food sacrificed to idols, and the, we're saying, what? Wait a minute. Where are we going with this question about whether there were gods or not? And and this is the issue really at the heart of how people were justifying their behavior. They're saying, if there's only one God, I stake my claim, and that all of this doesn't matter. So it would be akin to this. Imagine I'll give you my my sick, crazy illustration. If Paul is like saying the equivalent of this. If I take a sandwich and I offer it to a God named Freddy, Okay, so here's the sandwich. I have sacrificed this sandwich to, to Freddie, and Jamin comes along and says, I'm real hungry. Now, Jamin's a Christian, believes in the Bible and everything else, and I say, Jamin, I have a sandwich, but I offered it to the God named Freddie, and Jamin's hungry. Jamin says, yeah, that's nice. I'll take a bite. If it's good, I'll eat it. If not, I'll go about my business. It really doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a whack job who has lost touch with reality by finding a God, first of all, we named Freddie. Right? We really don't care. It doesn't matter. And if he can fill his stomach and move about his business, the rest of this is moot. And if that were the situation with regard to eating the meat that had, or the food that had been sacrificed to idols, the whole thing would be a wash. So he's saying your justification might have a grain of truth in it. Might. This, this is really interesting. This passage, as I started preparing for it, if you stripped out all of the discussion about idols and eating, you see profound doctrines of theology. And, and, and this is really pretty interesting when you see it because Scripture is consistent. As you go through Scripture, you're going to find universal chunks of truth that can be transferred everywhere throughout Scripture. And it's interesting here. It says this, For there is one God, monotheistic religion, the Father, from whom, 
So the origination of all things is from God the Father. It's, it comes from him, whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, uh, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now here's interesting. It says things come from God, but it's through Jesus. And think about this. Without Jesus, the, the plight of, of, the, uh, of every human being is in massive trouble with God. Even if God created us and created the universe in perfection and his glory, you have a human being standing in his midst. But that human being is fallen and sinful and doomed. So all things might come from God, but, but if you have God, who's from all things flowed, and this sinful human being, there's no bridge between the two. But through Jesus Christ, meaning that Jesus is the conduit through which we get to God the Father, and that's what it's saying here. And one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So I think it's just interesting when you see that consistency in scripture. What that's worth, I don't know, but I bring it up. I just thought it was really interesting in the issue about um, that, that being able to love God, where that love comes from. So we keep moving. Eating versus not eating. However, not all possess this knowledge. And, and so the knowledge is what knowledge? We just addressed the issue about there being no other real gods other than God the Father and Jesus Christ, his son. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So there's the setup. You've got people that are in a place where they're struggling. Food will, not condemn, food will not condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So the real issue becomes at this point that there are some people who are really struggling um, with the problem. And Paul now has to settle the matter um, to, to just bring it up to say, hey, th this, this is an issue that has to be fixed. We continue on verse 9. But take care that this right, um, and it's interesting if, if, if in scripture, in your, in your, I, I put this right in quotes because that's what we're talking about here. Somebody claiming my behavior is being justified. It's my right. All right? But some take this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. There's really brutal language there. Uh, this weak person is, is destroyed, the brother of whom Christ died. So it's saying that, that in light of the sacrifice that Christ made on a cross, this, this, this issue with the magnitude of what Christ did for us um, becomes muddied. By your behavior. Well, that's a brutal rebuke. To have somebody come and say, your behavior is marring the image and the holiness and the likeness of Christ in this believer. Thus, sinning against your brother, and there's the issue, that this stronger brother is now sinning against a brother, and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Um, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And it's interesting because right here, Paul doesn't, it's amazing to me 
how Paul would make these stern, unwavering statements. And it looks like he's in your face and he's just ready to poke your chest. And then he turns around and says, I don't do this. And walks away. Because he says, Paul says that if I were there, he doesn't say you blew it and you should be punished. He says, if I were there in that particular setting now, I would never eat meat. And that's his conclusion. So what's the takeaway here? Paul's urging the stronger brother to give up his rights for the sake of love and the gospel. And that's a pretty amazing, when you think this through, what we are called to do as believers. That if my behavior is getting to a place where it's going to be an offense to somebody else, I should be motivated by my love for you and for what Christ did for me to forgo that behavior. And that's pretty simple. We would think it's pretty simple. There, there's a story about a woman who came to church on a Sunday morning, comes in to the uh, usher, and the usher greets her at the front door, welcomes her, and um, asks her where she'd like to sit. And she says, I'd like to sit in the front row. And he starts trying to dissuade this woman about coming and sitting in the front row. And finally, she's like, what's the story here? Why don't you want me to sit in the front row? And, and the usher stops and says, okay, the pastor is really boring. And the woman looks at him and says, do you know who I am? And he says, no. And she says, I am the pastor's mother. And, and at that point, the usher says, do you know who I am? And she says, no. And he says, thank God. <laughs> and, and the point here, the point here, and this, this, this is the best way to bring this home, is that if I get caught in a place where I'm left sinning against my brother, you know, I can guarantee you, first of all, I'm going to look like a fool, and I'm going to pray that nobody knows that I'm really associated with Christ. And, and that's, that's a sad reality. And I say this because I've been sitting here really struggling, saying, how relevant is this to us? I mean, 2,000 years ago, they're eating food in temples. We're not hanging on temples. We're not doing devil worship. We're not sacrificing things to gods and claiming or, or, my behavior is fine in a certain realm or not fine in a realm. The problem is that in America, we have this concept ingrained into us in our culture is that we have the freedom to do whatever we want. And if I can afford it, it's my right. If I can pay for it, I can go and do it. And it doesn't really matter if it offends you. You just need to work harder and you can join me in the endeavor. How often, for any of us here, if you've spent any amount of the time in the church, has somebody ever come to you and say, your example is poor in this realm, because if a, if a new Christian was watching your behavior, you would send the wrong message. Has anyone ever said that to you? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. It's never been said to me. Somebody hasn't come along, alongside of me and said, your witness in this particular issue is horrible. Now, now, it's a little different in this respect, is that we have God's spirit who indwells us, who can, can call us out in that manner. But the difficulty, the difficulty is, is that I've spent 25 years sitting in church pews every Sunday, and I can't recount one time of somebody calling me out on the ropes. And I can tell you, it's not because my behavior is perfect. So the question is, are we just numb and oblivious to our behavior? 
until God hits you in the head with a two by four and says, that's rotten, cut it out. Really, think about that because that's what ultimately happens to me. That I'll be behaving in a manner where all of a sudden I'll trip and fall. And God says, you shouldn't have been running. Whatever that illustration is, you shouldn't have been running in that area of your life. And that's what happens, right? But somebody's not sitting there saying, you know, you're a poor example. And here's why I say this. The problem, the problem today is that we're all being watched. We are all being watched. You know, if I tell my wife this is acceptable for me to do, I'm going to go to Rio's every other Friday night, she'll probably go along with it, if I can afford it. No big deal, right? If, if, did you hear how I preface that, though? If I can afford it. And there's something fundamentally flawed with the concept of tethering our ability to pay for something being the clearance light for engaging in the behavior. That's the problem. Who else watches? Our kids watch us, our spouses watch us, our neighbors watch us, our prof professional peers, our church community. And if that was it, I would say, ah, and breathe a sigh of relief. We have Facebook. This, the stuff I see, the other Christians, and, and, the, and my difficulty here, the verse that haunts me as a believer is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Many will come to the end and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, away from me, you work of iniquity. I do not know you. And these are people who say, Lord, but I perform great works in your name. Away from me, I do not know you. And there's an assumption in America, if somebody goes to church, they're a Christian. And it's madness to me. It is insanity. You know how you'll know a Christian? you know a tree. By what? It's fruit. Dan, if I see what's posted on Facebook and you call yourself a Christian, i got to tell you the tree needs to chop down. You've got to take the tree away. And it's this, one of the, I'll be honest with you, I limit myself in social media because what I'm doing is putting my behavior on display. And if I'm not confident that the behavior that's being put on display is okay, I had best not put it out. So is there anything wrong with me going to Rio's? That's my opening question. You know, if I can afford Rio's, is everything cool with that? Okay, let me ask you, if I got a 50% off coupon for Rio's, is it okay to go? All right? It's only going to cost me half as much. You see what happens is we take our behavior that's probably not real good. Well, I'll only do half of it. Is that okay then? Is it okay then with a 50% off coupon? Is it okay whether I go on New Year's Eve or last Friday? Does it matter who I take with me to Rio's? If I go to Rio's with somebody who's struggling with their weight, is that a problem? See, all of a sudden it starts to change. You know, a lot of people say, if I can go to Rio's, I can go to Rio's. But it, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Does it matter if I go to Rio's with somebody who's struggling financially. Does, it change, does that change the, 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 the formula? Does it matter if I tell you I went to Rio's and you're having a problem paying your bills this month? And you know that I went with my wife and spent $120 on Rio's. Is it okay now? Does it matter if I go to Rio's and I don't tell anyone but my wife, right? Does that change? Does it make it better? Does it make a, make a difference for me as a Christian whether I go to Rio's at all? Does it matter? Let's skip Rio's. Let's say I go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. 
Does it matter? And, and I guess the question really is, is um, are we ever even willing to look at these things in our own walk with the Lord? Do we even stop to scrutinize our behavior to see how it affects others at all? The principle is your Rio's. Is it alcohol? See, you might, I don't drink at all, so my Rio's is not alcohol. But you see, you may be able to take two drinks and stop, and you have a child who can't. Or you've got a neighbor who can see you out on a Sunday afternoon relaxing with a beer while you cut the lawn. And he's struggling with alcoholism and is totally unsaved, and you call yourself a Christian. Is that a problem? Is, is our Rio's the clothing we wear? And this isn't just a female. I thought, you know, I wrote this and I thought, this is really a female thing. That's a lie. It's, a, it's universal to men. We have our own fashion statement. There's just more colors on women, okay? There's the difference, all right? Is the, because if I spend a lot of money and I always look impeccable, and I show up here in church Sunday morning and I'm always looking impeccable, is there not within you a desire to look better? And the question then becomes, at what price? Is our Rios how we spend the money we earn? You know, see, I could spend a lot of money. And if you see me out doing stuff, running around, all, having all this activity, and you think, well, my life's not as exciting as the Shanks, and he's a Christian, he does all his entertainment, and you, know, and you start thinking. And, and not go to the guy who's 90 days new as a believer. If you've been Christian 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I think this is, we need to be scrutinizing our behavior in light of those people. Okay, that, that's how it, it should be. What about the movies we watch? i got to be honest, in the last year, I've been speaking to men that are Christian and that they said they showed up in an R-rated movie, and I thought, something doesn't sit right. I mean, I, it's not sitting right. And if I can figure it out, I say, I don't need to go to the movies. That's fine, but what about the guy who's a 90-day Christian? What's the message we send? Is it okay? Is it okay? And i got to be honest with you. I'm struggling in those areas with looking at people saying it's wrong. We need, we need to do something different. What about our physical fitness? Is it, it's okay to go to the gym, but then to put on a, a, a clothing that really flaunts our physique? Again, what we're saying is that if you're struggling with your physique and God has called you to the ministry and you're serving him, and all of a sudden you say, well, I could go to the gym. I'd look better if I went to the If it's not a health motivation, skip the gym, okay? Skip it. Go walk or do something different. But for the per, for poor person who sees the American Christian who lives in the nice home and drives the new car and has money and, and wears the right clothes and attends the right church, and that poor guy comes in here who has not a clue about Christianity, accepts Christ, and we're the gold standard for believers, that poor guy is in for a heck of a ride. They're in for a heck of a ride because they're seeing all the trappings and none of the gospel. And if those lines can get tangled, it's time that we change our behavior as a collective body and as individuals and hold each other to account for that type of behavior. Is our Rios the job we hold? You know, there's some people that, that when you know who they are or what position they hold, you know, there's envy. Oh, man, if I could do that, I'd be welcomed in all the circles if I had the right political standing or or the right power job, or the right standing in a church. It's scary when somebody says, well, I'm the president of this, but when we start looking up to and exalting the, those leaders or elders in our own church, well, how do I become an elder? Whew, 
the guy's been misled. The guy's been misled. We all have our Rios. That's, that's, it's not the question, what is your Rios? Uh, we all have them. So what is your Rios? The question is this, is our Rios more important than our witness? That's where the rub takes place. Is our Rios more important than our witness to that new guy, that new woman? Is our Rios more important than the need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Can they come to your house and be okay no matter what? Can they hang out with you in a social setting and be all right no matter what? Can you drive them to a meeting no matter what? I'll share this. Years ago, I, I had a car, and I had a great year at work. And I intentionally bought a new car that was identical to the old car. And a guy I was discipling, I picked him up, and he gets in the car and he goes, you washed your car. And I looked at him and I said, I did. I did. And off we rode. Because the objective in that relationship is to care for each other and to love each other and not get wrapped up in the more, bigger, and better. And I intentionally did that. I went to the deer. I had ordered this car, and it had a different colored seat. And I said, I don't want it. I want black seats because my old one had black seats. And I pull up. Your, your thought isn't, oh, man, Jonathan's doing great. That should be moot. How do we modify our behavior to allow this body to simply exist in a biblical setting where more, bigger, and better is not distracting those new believers that come into our midst? There's a price. There's always a price for love. We know that God, for God to express his love, he sent his son to assume a punishment. To, that's a weak word, by the way. To assume an execution. How about that? A little better as we march toward communion this morning. To assume an execution that had my name written on the sentence sheet. So for us, how does God spell love? And the word is S-A-C-R-I-F-I-C-E. It is to sacrifice. It is to give up that which I can have for the benefit of another. So I hope, I maybe, my hope really is you walk away this Sunday. I don't want you feeling good. Maybe feeling good because you came here and worshipped and honored and glorified God and had communion and fellowship. But I want you feeling good leaving today. I'd like you to look at your life and say, where's my Rios? Where's my Rios? And what am I going to do about it? Let me pray in closing. Father, we, um, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that, that good isn't acceptable with your believers. That, that you set a standard for us to love others as you have loved. Father, I pray that, that, that we would come to know this word love, that it involves sacrifice, that it involves forgoing the trappings of this world, uh, not for the sake of giving it up, but for the sake of those that would be misled or distracted from us pointing to you and who you are. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes to see, to see what we can do better um, to reflect who you are to the new people in our midst. Father, forgive us for distracting, for misleading, um, for giving a wrong picture to those um, that are coming to you. Father, help us most importantly to love them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.